hospitality is one of the great unheralded virtues that is actually one of the most powerful antidotes to some of the the civic toxins that we're experiencing right now in that by opening one's home, by extending oneself or one's neighbor, you get to know them better. Uh, Your worlds expand. It is a tiny little microcosm of the civic good that uh, we hope to see, see flower. Welcome to Grayson 30 on WERALP, Arlington 96.7 FM, and streaming at WERA.FM. This is Ed Malik, and I'll be your host for the program tonight. There seems to be a serious void in leadership today. Tribalism, self-righteousness, contempt, and dishonesty are far too common among our government, business, and even church leaders. What can we do to address this problem? Tonight's guest is the president of the Trinity Forum, an organization working to transform society through the character and spiritual development of our leaders. Cherie Harder joined the forum in 2008 following a career in government that included stints at the White House and Congress. Cherie joins us to continue our talk about the Trinity Forum and the most important insights they've gained about leadership from their work with leading Christian thinkers. Cherie, welcome back to Grace and 30. Great to be here, Ed. So I'm going to read you a quote. We were talking about community when we got cut off in the last interview. And I want to talk about proximity and crossing the divide. And I, I saw an interview with a gentleman named Reza Aslan, who, who was a, originally a Muslim. I think he converted to Christianity and back to the Muslim faith. And he is married to a Christian woman. And he, he made a quote in this interview I saw. He said, after about 10 years of being cable news favorite Muslim, I've come to the realization that my appearances are not doing any good. Bigotry is not a result of ignorance, but a result of fear, and fear is impervious to data and information. The only way you're going to dissipate that fear is by getting people to know someone they are afraid of. When you hear that statement, do you agree with this? And and do you feel that proximity, crossing a divide and getting to know those, the stranger, uh, the marginalized, the people we hate, do you believe that's a key thing that, that you at the Trinity Forum are trying to teach people to do? Oh, it's a great quote. And of course, I forget what the um, what the verse is in the Bible, but essentially perfect love drives out fear. Hmm. Um, love does drive out fear. And you can't love someone without getting to know them. So, um, so yes, you know, in, in many ways, getting to know our neighbors. Um, and the example that you brought up at one point of the Samaritan, you know, the Samaritan was not, um, Jesus called a neighbor. The Samaritan was at the time, the despised and even feared other. And so getting to know others, others who don't share all of our assumptions, uh, necessarily all of our beliefs, all of our practices, but that is a vital first step to actually uh, knowing them and loving them as our neighbors. And I think knowing and loving people uh, takes away fear. In a recent interview with David French, you, you, you hosted him on your podcast, yes. and he mentioned the law of group polarization. Yes. And he said, when people of like mind gather, they tend to get more extreme. And is this you know, also a message where you're trying to sum how do How do we break that up? It seems like you know, you have people coming in and talking and, and saying wonderful things. I'm, I'm doing grace in 30 for five years trying to, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm spitting into the wind 
or into a hurricane, frankly. One of my friends used the Zed expression. Do you ever fear, feel that way when you try to get these sort of messages out? Is, is there a better way to do this? Have you found a better, more effective way to do it? No, it's a great question. You know, and it's a big one too, because of course we, you know, both of us, we see this big problem and you want to like tackle it all at once. And how do you find, you know, a solution that you can immediately bring to scale? Uh, you know, those are questions that you kind of wrestle with all the time. And of course, funders want you to bring everything to scale. But I think one of the big problems really affecting, you know, our, our country, our world is problems of relationships. And, you know, it's hard to scale problems of relationships. Uh, you know, that tends to be something that is addressed, you know, friendship by friendship, relationship by relationship, you know, one person at a time. And so uh, you can't boil the ocean all at once. But I, I think there are really important things to be done. You know, you mentioned the uh, law of group polarization earlier. That is, that is a, a certainly a very demonstrable theory. Uh, we we see that all the time. You, you see it in primaries where parties usually move to the extremes and then kind of move a little bit more towards the center for the general election. Any kind of group of like-minded people, the consensus of that group tends to skew towards something more extreme than what they started out with. And so when we only hang out with, associate with, talk with people who already share our opinions, it's very easy to grow increasingly extreme without even realizing it. And part of what makes uh, this all the more both pernicious and pervasive is the fact that our technologies tend to you know, almost sort of unwittingly conspire with us in that, you know, the algorithms of our technologies tend to sit, you know, put us in the streams of people who already agree with us uh, so that, you know, we are constantly having our, you know, our assumptions, our inclinations, even our biases repeated and uh, through that validated. And it's when we get to know other people who don't share those opinions uh, that you find that you're often your thinking is challenged. Um, you know, new possibilities present themselves. You're put in the position of thinking, you know, do I agree with that? Why or why not? That very process itself is is intellectually sharpening. Uh, but there, are, I, I do think there are many things that each of us can do. It, it won't change the entire situation overnight, but all of us have more influence than we than we often give ourselves credit for. Uh, and I think one of the important things to do is simply to be mindful of the medium through which we get our information. You know, uh, different media are not uh, neutral necessarily or unbiased. They tend to shape our thinking in one way or the other. You know, for example, this was a, an example Neil Postman gave. You can't do philosophy by smoke signal. You know, it just the, that form that medium does not lend itself to that message. You know, different media bias towards different messages. Twitter biases towards, you know, essentially disputation, uh, one-upmanship. Reading uh, biases towards kind of logical, linear thought, um, TV biases towards images. You know, just to be mindful of the medium through which you are both getting your information, but also through which you're transmitting uh, information. Uh, I think it's helpful to read more. And I think hospitality is one of the great unheralded virtues that is actually one of the most powerful antidotes 
to some of the, the civic toxins that we're experiencing right now in that by opening one's home, by extending oneself or one's neighbor, you get to know them better. Uh, your worlds expand. It is a tiny little microcosm of the civic good that uh, you know we hope to see, see flower. Do you, do you have any examples like that? I mean, perhaps you hosted someone at the forum that you were sort of like, ugh, this is not a position we agree with, but we want to cross a boundary. We, we want to hear them out, genuinely listen to them. And you and you did break bread afterwards, or you did do something, or perhaps, you know, maybe you know of other organizations that are doing things. I, I told you I've had groups like One America Movement and More in Common, mm-hmm. and uh, I've had Brian Grimm on the program, lots of people. And I'm constantly saying, hey, you know, speak comforts to me. I, I feel like, you know, Charles Dickens, you know, tell me something, <laughs> something good that encourages us that we can do this. And also, you mentioned the world scale, that this this thing can scale. Do you have anything you can share with us that makes us go, wow, that's that's a real testimony, a real example of, of grace in action, of stepping across a border somewhere and peacemaking. Since the pandemic started, we've been hosting almost every week online conversations where we uh, invite you know, either a scholar, an expert, a leader, a group of leaders together to talk about some you know, big conversation. Uh, and not too long ago, we hosted uh, Pete Weiner, who is a um, New York Times columnist, um, and Jonathan Haidt, who's a sociologist uh, at NYU. Uh, Pete is a, is a Presbyterian, is a Christian, actually was one of my old bosses. Uh, Jonathan Haidt would describe himself as um, a secular, atheistic um, uh, Jew from New York. And they, you know, theologically, they don't necessarily agree on a lot, but it was a deep and rich conversation. Um, uh, Jonathan Haidt is a well-known sociologist who's done a lot of work into essentially a, uh, how we form our values and how that plays out in terms of our civic interactions. Uh, and you know, Pete Weiner is a is a columnist who reflects a lot and writes about those issues. And the you know the the conversation that came out of that was I just thought really fascinating and enriching and, and helpful in terms of thinking about how to understand uh, our neighbors. Uh, that, that's available on our website. But, you know, there have been many other conversations, um, you know, that I've been part of across, whether it's political or theological divides. And often it's those kind of conversations that can lead to really interesting reforms or breakthroughs in action. Um, Religious freedom is is a topic that um, that almost requires the the assent and the involvement of people of many different faiths. Um, you, you don't have religious freedom if you only have it for one particular group. And so we've hosted different conversations there with people of, of different faiths and uh, about religious freedom, what it is, what it means to them, that I think have been really helpful and would would love to continue those. I want to briefly interrupt the program tonight to mention WERA's fundraising drive running from April 26th through May 9th. The Grayson 30 radio program almost certainly would not have had the chance to air on an FM station had it not been for the graciousness of Arlington Independent Media, also known as AIM. AIM's purpose has been to provide Arlington residents with an opportunity to raise their voice in ways that would otherwise not be possible. Among many things, AIM provides unique opportunities for important community organizations and local artists to inform and entertain the Arlington community. This past year, 
Arlington County relied on AIM and WERA to help share important public information about everything from COVID vaccinations to voting to the census. All of this wouldn't be possible without the support of listeners like you. So please take a few minutes to visit either arlingtonmedia.org or WERA.FM and click the donate button in the upper right hand corner and make a tax deductible gift. That's Arlington Media, one word, dot org or WERA.FM. Grayson 30 has been on the air for five years and we have consistently shared a message of bridge building, service, and hope in a world increasingly characterized by division, contempt, and untruth. We'd like to thank the listeners who have supported us and Arlington Independent Media during that time. So one of my favorite scriptures is Jeremiah 17, 9, and it is basically the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. And, and why do I know this? Because I was awakened by God. There's a pastor up in Philadelphia called Paul Tripp, and he uses an expression, the redemptive violence of grace. He basically says, God will take you somewhere you'd never go on your own in order to bring about change that can only happen in that place. And for me, that was my divorce. And what that did, and I, we can get into the reasons why in another conversation, but it, it woke me up so powerfully to start examining myself and, and saying, hey, show me what you want me to know about me and stop pointing at my wife all the time and criticizing her. And don't worry about her. See her through graceful, forgiving eyes. And I just feel like we, we have human beings. My pastor says over and over, we have an infinite capacity for self-deception. And I feel like there's a lot of that going on. And each one of us is, we have blind spots. That's one of the important things of community. I have spots that I don't see blind spots. And when I bring you along, you, you can help me see in areas where I can't see if I'm willing to listen. Um, how, is there any thinking that you guys have on how to shatter those blind spots, those deceptions, how to, to work in some way to effectively get through people and on a large scale? Well, it's a great question, and I'm not sure that we know how to do it on a large scale because so much of that kind of work really is, as you were saying, relational. Uh, it is always easier for us to see the blind spots of other people than to see them in ourselves, You know, almost by definition. Otherwise, they wouldn't be blind spots. But living in community, um, you know, having uh, sustaining friendships with you know people who have known us over time, and in whom we are confident that they uh, they care for us and they want the best for us. You know, hearing about our blind spots in that kind of context from someone that we know, we trust, and we know love us, you know, should presumably kind of open our ears, you know, open our our hearts to that kind of knowledge about what our blind spots are. And when one does not have those kind of relationships, it's much more difficult to, you know, to perceive, um, you know, the blinders that one has and, or if the relationships one has are not ones based on trust and love, uh, you know, someone else pointing out your blind spot is going to feel much more like an attack rather than a service. So I think it is, we largely grow in, in wisdom, um, you know, and in, uh, you know, embodying uh, virtue through living in community with people who care about us and love us enough to tell us truth in love. And so the hard thing is, you know, it's very difficult to bring truth, love and trust to scale. It is, it's the hard work of building friendships, building loving relationships, acting in trustworthy manner that is um, 
it is so important. Uh, it's also painstaking, often, um, you know, time consuming and energy consuming work. It's, it's the stuff of which life and relationships is made. Yes, you you say these things. I, I really appreciate this, and and that's why it's incumbent on you and me who understand these things to to try to share the importance of self examination, humility with as many people as possible. Because we really are hardened. We don't we don't listen. I, I wouldn't have listened to a thing you said about me and what I was doing in my marriage up until Diane dropped the bomb, and then I started listening. And even then, it was a process over time of me being broken down more and more before I would really listen. I remember my daughter once told me, oh, someone, she had three roommates in college in her first year. And the three, three of them agreed that one of the other girls had an issue. And, you know, my daughter was like, oh, you tell her. And they're like, oh, I'm not telling her. It was one of those things where no one wanted to say anything. Even if it was said in love, they were concerned it would end a relationship. Things would turn really ugly because we have such a, a hardening to hearing difficult things about ourselves. And that's, to me, you know, listening to you talk, I guess teaching people self-examination and humility to somehow build that practice, you got to have that before, you know, it's going to be effective for someone to share truths about you with you. Do you agree with that? Oh, yeah. You know, um, I think there has to be a sense of, you know, this word is overused, but a sense of safety and rootedness um, and even sort of security before one can, you know, can hear uh, what, what could be seen as a critique and, and take it in as something, um, take it into something nourishing. You almost have to know this is being said for my well-being and my benefit. And I, most of us have had the experience where, you know, whether it was a coach or, or a parent where we understood, even if we didn't like hearing it at the time, that the correction that was being, you know, given to us was meant not to destroy or diminish or de, you know demean, um, but to help us grow. You know, to kind of to, to call us forth, to to prune us. Um, you know, so that we could flourish to a greater extent. And you know, when one you know has that conviction that this is being said for my benefit, for my good. Um, you know, it, it may be a bitter pill at the time, but it's one that most of us will, will swallow. If we don't believe that's the case, if we believe that whatever is being said to us is merely an attack, you know, or you know, merely a put down or a bit of one upsmanship, you know, our attitude will be quite different. Now, in order to get to the place where one can, you know, discern that a, a hard word or a correction is being uh, is really a correction for our benefit is constructive as opposed to destructive. There has to be a certain amount of trust that's already present. And one of the things that I think we've seen happen over the last you know couple of decades or so is you know people have fewer really close relationships of trust, you know relationships that have have endured that are. Um, you know, kind of just marked by, you know, the kind of commitment uh, to each other and to each other's you know, well-being uh, that makes those kind of conversations uh, more possible, more frequent, and more powerful. You know, if we are feeling under attack or under threat, we do tend to just hunker down and interpret correction as an attack. And um, and then all too often, you know, we, we counterattack. Uh, but, you know, 
in in committed community and committed friendships, uh, you know, there's a verse about you know the um, you know, the the rebuke of a friend is true. You know, it is it is meant you know for our for our growth and for our good. You said on the phone uh, when we spoke, I guess a couple weeks ago, that the answer to all of these problems is in a person who embodied love. What did you mean by that? Well, I mean, um, you know, I, I speak as a Christian, as someone who has placed uh, my ultimate faith in the person of Jesus Christ, um, who embodies and models as well as articulates, you know, the way we are to live. And so that, you know, essentially in, um, in learning from him and following him, um, you know, part of, of course, the process of discipleship is trying to better understand and live out and follow you know, his ways, his approaches, um, you know, his attitudes uh, that, in, you know, through those ways, uh, we will find, um, you know, kind of the path to love God and love our neighbor, you know, as we should. Uh, in a way that's not only best for our neighbor, but only ultimately best for our own soul as well. And so it's in trying to follow that example, I think, that we, uh, we find both love and, um, you know, and, and spiritual growth. Could you share with us what is the good news of the gospel? Well, I mean, the good news of the gospel is, in the, is that even in the messed up condition that we have, where each of us, you know, and our own selfish hearts are oriented towards our own advancement uh, at the expense of others. And as much dignity as we have, you know, also the pettiness that, uh, and even cruelty that resides in each of us, that there is a way out, um, that there is a model that God himself came to earth in human form to provide an example for us to follow not merely to affirm or to assent to, you know, but actually to spend our lives following. And that that process of following him is a taste of heaven on earth, um, as well as pointing to what's what's ahead. I like that because it, typically people focus, um, a lot of evangelicals will focus on personal salvation and sort of Leave out the part that the kingdom of God is at hand. It came in the form of Christ, and we're supposed to be little pockets of the kingdom as we move about, providing foretastes of how you you provide flourishing, how you operate in accordance to kingdom principles. You know, again, we talked about you want to be first, you got to be last. You want to get, you got to give. Love your enemies. These are all things that are extremely countercultural, but they're really part of the gospel message. So we um. One of the things I thought of, I just wanted to make a comment, is you know Christ walked full of both grace and truth, and we seem to really struggle uh, with one or the other of those. We, we each human being seems to be tilted more towards one thing versus another. And in this time, you know, where people are looking at a clean election and saying it was stolen, and looking at vaccines that have an extremely high uh, rate of success, you know, saying it's a plot by Bill Gates, truth has really been under assault right now. What can we do to model truth before people in sort of a compelling, effective way? Well, that is a, it's a great question, Ed. And um, you are right. One of the, I think, just grievous uh, things is that, you know, by many studies, Christians are, self-reported evangelicals are the most likely to affirm, say, the Q conspiracy theory, 
we are more likely to be vaccine skeptics or deniers. And there really don't doesn't seem to be much difference in the ways that um, Christians comport themselves on social media from from anyone else. So, you know, certainly there are spiritual guidelines we can follow, which and there's plenty in the Bible uh, of, you know, First Philippians 4, 8 talks about, you know, whatever, whatsoever is true and of good report and excellent and worthy, praiseworthy. Think on these things, you know, talk about these things. It's an orientation towards what is life affirming, what is loving, um, you know, what advances the common good rather than detracts from it. So that's certainly one. There's different ways that that can play out or be applied. Um, I think one of the most important things is when in doubt about the truth of something, don't pass it on. Do not, you know, abstain from being agents of misinformation. And if something seems to validate all of one's biases, preconceptions, it's probably skewed. Um, I think we would probably all be better served, you know, to become interrogators of information that just seems, uh, you know, that seems too validating of our prior opinions before passing it on. Uh, so I think, you know, cultivating even, you know, certain intellectual virtues uh, of curiosity, of, of attentiveness, of, uh, you know, a spirit of inquiry, these would all be, I think, helpful things in, you know, perhaps making us a little bit more skeptical of uh, information that seems to affirm our own side and, um, you know, point to all the vices of the other side. Curiosity keeps us more open to, to learning new information you know, to evaluating it, putting it in context, it, it opens up new worlds to us. Uh, you know, so it's it's cultivation, I think, is a helpful thing. Uh, but also, you know, again, you talked about both grace and truth. Searching out what is true for the purpose of better loving our world, our neighbor, and, and God, it's hard to go wrong with that. Uh, we run into more problems when we search out information in order to put down or one up others with whom we disagree. If one is, you know, is seeking out uh, the truth of a matter in order to, uh, you know, to affirm, to um, to help catalyze growth, you know, to seek the flourishing of others. It's just, it's very difficult to imagine how one goes too far wrong. Cherie, thank you so much for joining me again. Uh, if listeners would like to find out more about the Trinity Forum, check them out on the web at ttf.org. A recording of this program can be found at thegraceand30.com and wera.fm websites, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher. And the show will also re-air on this station this coming Sunday at 8.30 a.m. This is Ed and Cherie signing off from Grace and 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace. <laughs>